this constant newness in Scripture from God. And that is beautiful. It's wonderful. And it's, it's really who we need to be and where we need to be uh, as the church right now because we're in this whole season of new. There's no way for it not to be new. We need to figure out new ways to connect, new ways to uh, be fed, for lack of, of a better term. How are you filling yourself with community? How are you filling yourself uh, with faith and, and moments uh, of that when there isn't a church building to retreat to? We call our main, um, our main auditorium sanctuaries. Sanctuary is a place of refuge, a place to go and hide and, and kind of rest and reset and recharge. And so do you have that in your home now? Have you set space away as we're all feeling cabin fever? Have you set aside a space, a time, um, a place, whether it's a laundry room, a bathtub, just somewhere where you can go and find sanctuary to rest and recharge? And my hope and prayer is that these live streams that we do Sunday morning can be that for you and your family. That uh, amongst the week, you know that Sunday morning, we're still going to be together as a community. That you can reach out through uh, the, the chat system that's set up with this. That you can talk to other people you may not normally connect with. Or that you can just hear uh, someone's voice that you don't normally hear. I know as we called people this week, that was something that really stood out is that no one seemed to really need a lot of help right now. I mean, we're only week one uh, of this whole social distancing and, and no one seemed to need help, but they were all exceedingly grateful to have a phone call, to know that a voice outside of what they're hearing in their home was thinking about them and caring for them. And that is the church. So I, I want to challenge you before we even start this message, have you reached out to your neighbors, even just with a phone call? Uh, I mean, tie a string to some cans, throw it across the balcony, talk to someone new in a different way, send a paper airplane. Like if you have a way to connect with someone, do it because it changes everything. It changes the world. Um, I mean, that's what Jesus did. Coming down to earth changed the way we connected and talked to God. It removed the need of priests and temples and sacrifice. It gave us the direct line. It, it gave us new open communication. So I challenge you in, in the, the heart and the light of Jesus, do that. Find new ways to connect. So uh, what I want to go through today is the book of Jonah. I was trying to figure out where do we go with this, and, and God really just led me to the book of Jonah. And so what I want to do is I want to read through it, and then I'm going to tear a few pieces apart and talk about it and show how that really applies to our concept of growing through change. So if you have your Bible with me, uh, or with you, sorry, I have my Bible with me, but if you have your Bible with you, uh, pull it out. We're, we're kicking it old school. Becky's singing doxologies. We're reading scripture together, um, but we're going to just read the entire book of Jonah. I'm reading from the New International Reader's Version, um, but please follow along. So the story of Jonah goes like this. A message from the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The Lord said, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. The sins of its people have come to my attention. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. So he went down to the port of Joppa. There he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board. Then he sailed for Tarshish. He is running away from the Lord. 
But the Lord sent a strong wind over the Mediterranean Sea. A wild storm came up. It was so wild that the ship was in danger of breaking apart. All the sailors were afraid. Each one cried out to his own God for help. They threw the ship's contents into the sea. They were trying to make the ship lighter. But Jonah had gone below deck. There he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call out to your God for help. Maybe he'll pay attention to what's happening to us and then we won't die. Here's what the sailors said to one another. Someone is to blame for getting us into all this trouble. Come, let's cast lots to find out who it is. So they did. And Jonah was picked. They asked him, what terrible thing have you done to bring all this trouble on us? Tell us, what do you do for a living? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people do you belong to? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. He is the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. They found out he was running away from the Lord. That's because he had told them. Then they became terrified. So they asked him, how could you do a thing like that? The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. Then it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this terrible storm has come on you. But the men didn't do what he said. Instead, they did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't. The sea got even rougher before them. Then they cried out to the Lord. They prayed, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. After all, he might not be guilty of doing anything wrong. So don't hold us responsible for killing him. Lord, you always do what you want to. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the stormy sea became calm. The men saw what had happened. Then they began to have great respect for the Lord. They offered to sacrifice to him, and they made promises to him. Now the Lord sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, when I was in trouble, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. When I was deep in the place of the dead, I cried out for help, and you listened to my cry. You threw me deep into the Mediterranean Sea. I was down in its waters. They were all around me. All your rolling waves were sweeping over me. I said, I have been driven away from you, but I will look again toward your holy temple in Jerusalem. I had almost drowned in the waves. The deep waters were all around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank down to the bottom of the mountains. I thought I had died and gone down into the grave forever. But you were the Lord, my God. You brought my life up from the very edge of the pit of death. When my life was very nearly over, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose up to you. It reached you in your holy temple in heaven. Some people worship the worthless statues of their gods. They turn away from God's love for them. But I will sacrifice a thank you offering to you. And I will shout with thankful praise. I will do what I have promised. I will say, Lord, you are the one who saves. The Lord gave the fish a command and it spit Jonah up onto dry land. A message from the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The Lord said, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce to its people the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the Lord. He, he went to Nineveh. It was a very large city. In fact, it took about three days to go through it. Jonah began by going one whole day into the city. As he went, he announced, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. 
The people of Nineveh believed God's warning, so they decided not to eat any food for a while, and all of them put on the rough clothing people wear when they're sad. That's what everyone did, from the least important of them to the most important. Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh. He got up from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He also dressed himself in the clothing of sadness, and then he sat down in the dust. Here's the message he sent out to the people of Nineveh. I and my nobles give this order. Don't let people or animals taste anything. That includes your herds and flocks. People and animals must not eat or drink anything. Let people and animals alike be covered with the clothing of sadness. All of you must call out to God with all of your heart. Stop doing what is evil. Don't harm others. Who knows? God might take pity on us. He might not be angry with us anymore. Then we won't die. God saw what they did. He saw that they stopped doing what was evil. So he took pity on them. He didn't destroy them as he said he would. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Here is what Jonah said to him. Lord, isn't this exactly what I thought would happen when I was still at home? This is what I tried to prevent by running away to Tarshish. I know, I knew that you were gracious. You were tender and kind. You were slow to get angry. You were full of love. You are a God who takes pity on people. You don't want to destroy them. Lord, take away my life. I'd rather die than live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had left the city. He had sat down at a place east of it. There he put branches over his head. He sat in their shade. He waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God sent a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah. It gave him more shade for his head and made him more comfortable. Jonah was very happy he had a leafy plant. But before sunrise, the next day, God sent a worm. It chewed the plant so much that it dried up. When the sun rose, God sent a burning east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head. It made him very weak. He wanted to die. So he said, I'd rather die than live. But God spoke to Jonah. God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, but you did not take care of it. You did not make it grow. It grew up in one night and died the next. And shouldn't I show concern for the great city of Nineveh? There's more than 120,000 people. They can't tell right from wrong. Nineveh also has a lot of animals. The end. The book of Jonah is quite interesting that way, that it, it just kind of abruptly cuts off with God saying, don't you think I should do something? You're so upset about something you had no control over, and yet here I am, the God of everything, and and yet you think I should just walk away. So what I want to pull out of this is in in verses 1 to 3, that Jonah knows and hears from God, but refuses to accept what he said. I think that's really important to note that Jonah isn't just some side character that God randomly calls out to. I mean, later in verse 9, Jonah identifies himself as a Hebrew who believes uh, that uh, he says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. He is the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. 
Jonah knows exactly who God is. And yet when God called, the first thing Jonah did was turn away. He said, no, I'm doing my own thing. I don't want to do what you're doing. The second thing I want to pull out of this is the concept of what's in a name. I mean, Romeo and Juliet, we, we, we know the quote, what's, what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. Juliet's saying here, if you called a, a rose a cabbage, it would still smell as good. Does the name, the title change anything? But I want to argue that a little bit in that when we know a personal name of someone, it changes a lot. I mean, we look at babies and you can be like, well, I think that's a Craig. Maybe that one's a Zach. You look at other names and you're like, well, that's definitely not a Jeffrey. Like it just, I can't see it. And yet somehow when we get to the concept of God, we just say what he is. We don't talk to him by name. We say, dear God, and God is, God is who he is. It's not his name And it is important to know his name and infers that we are closer and beyond just titles, that we know him. And the reason I bring this up is because all throughout the book of Jonah, you will look that it it says Lord. Over and over it says Lord. That's capital L. And then it's still capitals O-R-D. They're just a bit lower case. And this is really important because if you turn to the front of your Bible, sometimes it's in the back, but it will talk about the different ways that we address God throughout Scripture. And what they mean. And really, when we write Lord that way, it's a reference to the Hebrew word Adonai or Elohim. And these are God's personal names. I mean, God has a very personal name that we don't know how to pronounce or say because the Hebrews uh, were so reverent of it. It has four consonants, Y-H-W-H. And we, we tend to say Yahweh and, and throw some vowels of Adonai over top. I mean, that can also be translated into the word Jehovah. But we don't know the exact name of God. But God has a name. And I would like to challenge you in this way that do you call God by a personal name? Or do you just kind of stand off distant in your prayers and just say, God, Father, I mean, we invoke the name of Jesus, and and we know there's power and beauty in that name. But when we pray, do we just say, dear God, or could we say, Elohim, Adonai? It almost feels awkward to say that, to give a, a direct personal name to God. It brings us closer. But this is how I know that Jonah knew God. Because every time he talks to him, he doesn't say God, he says, Lord. He's calling him by a very specific name, a very intentional name, because he knows him. I also want to note that in, in 112, when Jonah's actions couldn't get him farther away, he tried to get someone else to do it. He was like, just throw me over the boat. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to do what he says. I mean, he's told the sailors, they're like, what did you do? Who are you? He's like, I'm a Hebrew. I I worship the true God, the creator of everything. And I, I am running away from him. And they're like, what are you doing? Why did you bring this to us? And and, and so he's, he's like, well, we can fix it. Just throw me over the boat. And they're like, but we, we can't. We don't, we don't want to actually do that. They tried to go to shore because they're like, that's not right to just throw someone overboard. And it wasn't until they couldn't make it into shore that they're like, 
okay, and, and they address the Lord at this point because they're like, there's something going on here. And they're like, don't hold us uh, guilty for this man's death. I, I mean, he may not actually be guilty and they throw him overboard and the sea's calm. And, and the crazy part here is that in Jonah's disobedience, God works things for his glory. Because what follows next is that the sailors then all turn to God, to Adonai, the Lord, Elohim. They turn personally to him because they have now seen him work and they offer a sacrifice and prayers and commitments. And and that's an amazing, beautiful thing because earlier in the scripture, they're praying to someone completely different. They are all praying to their own different gods. And then they're like, Jonah, what are you doing? Who's your God? Are you the problem? And he's like, I really am. And and here's why my God's upset with me. And, And so they, they, deal with him by throwing him over and God changes the, the circumstances and the sailors are like, this guy is real. And so Jonah's disobedience is still used for the glory of God. Which then leads us to Jonah's prayer. I mean, if you've watched any sort of Veggie Tales or, or kids, Christian kids movie, Jonah sometimes has a house his own boat. It gets kind of Moby Dick-esque, but he's like living in this, we call it a whale in a lot of those stories, but big fish. But the only thing the scripture tells us is that Jonah sings. He sings this prayer. He calls out. And, And what I notice is how many personal pronouns there are in here. both to God and from Jonah. And so here's my challenge to you. I'm going to reread this prayer, and every time it says, Lord, I'm going to put Adonai or Elohim. But I challenge you, in in your own prayer life, would you take this opportunity to, to name God? To draw yourself a little closer, not just in who he is, but in knowing him personally. So Jonah's prayer goes like this. When I was in trouble, I called out to Adonai. And he answered me. When I was deep in the place of the dead, I called out for help. And you listened to my cry. You threw me deep into the Mediterranean Sea. I was deep down in the waters. They were all around me. All your rolling waves were sweeping over me. I said, I have been driven away from you, but I will look again toward your holy temple in Jerusalem. I had almost drowned in the waves. The deep waters were all around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the bottom of the mountains. I thought I had died and gone down into the grave forever. But you are Elohim, my God. You brought my life up from the very edge of the pit of death. When my life was nearly over, I remembered you, Adonai. My prayer rose up to you. I reached you in the, your holy temple in the heaven. Some people worship God, the wor- or worship the worthless statues of their gods. They turn away from God's love for them. But I will sacrifice a thank you offering to you. And I will shout with thankful praise. I will do what I have promised. I will say, Elohim, you are the one who saves. Amen. The next verse says, Then Adonai gave the fish a command and spit Jonah 
up on the dry land. So that's my challenge. Take time in your prayer life to, to, to do something a little intentional. Maybe shake up your prayer life a bit if, if it's felt static. As we continue through the story uh, in chapter 3, Jonah does what God asks. And God does what he is known to do. Jonah talks about how um, Jonah just gets angry and talks about, God, you are gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving and all these amazing and beautiful things. And yet Jonah is, is looking at this in such a negative light. And it's just such a failure to change. I think what's interesting is once you get to the end of this story, Jonah is in the exact same place as where he started. He's in the exact same opinion. He's in the exact same headspace. He knows a personal relationship with God, Adonai, and yet he does not want to listen to him. He feels he knows better. He doesn't like what God is doing. He hasn't grown or developed even in times of sorrow. Being locked away in the belly of a fish for three days, I can't imagine that being something joyful, something that uh, I feel it should be something humbling that you would come out of it and say, I want to do different. I will change. I will be more. I mean, Jonah's prayer says, I will see and call out to your holy temple again, but it doesn't say that I will change my heart and, and follow all that you ask me to do. So where does this leave us in context of growing through change? Because that's what we want to talk about, growing through change. First off, Jonah didn't. He didn't waver his opinion or learn from his actions. But that didn't stop God from changing the world. Nineveh was still saved. Nineveh was still preached to. So this is really a story of what not to do. Because we need to recognize and remember that while we have a personal relationship with God, his purpose of salvation is for humanity as a people and not a person. We are called children of God and Romans says that we are adopted into God's family, that we are joint heirs with Christ. And that is absolutely true. And I don't want to negate that in any way. But if you look at the, the shaping, the story arc of scripture, it is always that God is coming to save humanity. He has personal individual relationships, but it is humanity that he is looking to save and work for. And, and a lot of times we get stuck in this idea that, um, I know what's best because, God, you have saved me, and I want to know people like me that are, are cared for. And God says, I am here, that all my word would be preached to the ends of the earth, that I am here for humanity, my creation, which I love. So we need to recognize, remember, that while we have a personal relationship with God, his purpose of salvation is for humanity. I think that comes into such great focus and play with what our, our culture, our global culture is suffering through right now. We are seeing people act out in, in what we might call a Christian nature because they're caring for the world around them. They're caring for the people around them. And yet it is human nature, which I truly believe is because we have the mark of God in us. We are all created in God's image. That's what humanity was designed as, which means that we all have a little bit of God with us. 
There's this concept of common grace. I've spoken about it before. And it's the idea that God loves all of his creation. So why does blessing happen to those who we don't think it should deserve? It's because God loves all creation. Doesn't mean all creation knows about Jesus. That doesn't mean all creation is in the process of salvation. But we are all created in the image of God. And so we need to, as the church, grow in this time of change that we are leading people to understand what is pushing them, what is calling them to these acts of generosity and care, that it is the word and the heart of Jesus in their lives coming forward, the Holy Spirit acting out in this world around us. And we have the opportunity in in this changing time to, to direct people and say, this is God in your life. See what you're doing and see how others aren't acting this way? That's because there's a call. There's something different here. And I want you to know that this is Jesus. This is God. This is Adonai shaping and caring for his world through his creation. Carrie Newhoff says this, Make the mission your focus, not the methods. Make the mission your focus, not the methods. Our mission hasn't changed. The church's mission has not changed while our methods clearly need to at this time. But even in our our own lives, as we grow and develop and change, we really do need to grow and change in our relationship with God because the mission doesn't change, but the methods constantly do. When I came to church, I came to United Faith, or I was born into United Church is maybe a better way to put it. I was born into the United Faith where we had choir gowns and hymnals and wooden pews and you dressed up every Sunday. And later on, I joined a non-denominational church and they, they had electric drums. And I was like, this is crazy and insane. What happened to our bell choir? Like they, they had drums and guitars and it was more than just a choir and a, a massive pipe organ. It was portable. We still dressed up and, and now... Now, the thought of coming dressed in a suit to preach is kind of like, well, why would I do that? How is that connecting with the world around me? Is that, how does that connect with our church? Most people aren't dressing that way. And, and things have changed. The methods have changed. But all through these three different church experiences, the mission has stayed the same. To grow and disciple, to learn about Jesus, to learn from Jesus, with Jesus, and, and, and be with Jesus. And so our mission needs to be our focus. It's our filter. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40 says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. This is the first and most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything that is written in the law and the prophets is based on these two commandments. There's our mission. The way forward in our method of church is changing. It started with Pastor Michael's announcement of retirement. It's been accelerated by the arrival of COVID-19 in Canada, but our mission has never changed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. 
and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus goes on to say, um, you must go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I wish Jonah had been able to hear that message. Because twice in the story of Jonah, God says, is it right for you to be angry? Because Jonah is mad. Jonah is unhappy with what God is doing. He has his own agenda, his own ideas. I love the way the different translations of the Bible say this. In the New International Reader's Version, it says, Do you do well to be angry? Sorry, that was the ESV. The New International says, Is it right for you to be angry? The NLT says, Is it right for you to be angry about this? The NLV says, have you any reason to be angry? And the message says, what do you have to be angry about? I think that's really where God ends up at the end of the story. He says to Jonah, are are you really mad about this plant? Do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah's like, I am angry. And God's like, why? You did nothing to care for it. And it's what I've come to realize is that failure to grow through change leaves you angry, bitter, and resentful. Failure to grow through change leaves you angry, bitter, and resentful. Jonah had so many opportunities to grow because change was all around him. From his running, to his being cast overboard, to his time in a fish, to his time in Nineveh. He had every opportunity to grow as he watched change happen around him. Nineveh redeemed itself, turned to God. The sailors changed their focus and turned to God. And even the changing of a tree that was not there, and then it was, and then it wasn't again, and yet Jonah stayed the same. We serve the We serve a God of the new. Adonai is the God of new. New wine, new bread, new life. Teaching us to grow and change towards something new. And so with that in mind, I want to take a moment of communion. I know this is a little different, a little... Weird, we might say, because I'm here on camera and you're here there at home. But we're still a community. Whether you watch this as a recording later in the day, later in the week, or you're watching live now, that doesn't take away from our moment of community. Because our mission has stayed the same. That we are a church who believes in real connections. Real people and real relationships. And so I'm here inviting you to take communion with me as my brothers and sisters, as my family of God, as my church. Father, we take this bread knowing that you came to this earth to change so many things. 
that you are our friend, you are our brother, you are our God, you are Adonai. Someone I can personally know and have relationship with, just as the disciples did when they sat around this table, that table with you, this table with you, where you broke bread with your friends and family. And said, take this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. So Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Elohim, we thank you that you did something different that allowed us to grow and become something more. And we take this in remembrance of you. the same way Jesus took a cup and shared it with his brothers, those that had followed him and known him, just as we are invited to follow him and know him. And so we share in this remembrance together. Jesus, thank you that this is in remembrance of your blood spilled out for us doing something we couldn't do. Father, we pray blessing on this time of worship. That we have come together as a body. That we are not alone. We're not forgotten. We're not cast aside. Teach us new ways to grow and change that as the world shifts around us, we would know you in a a deeper personal way that when you speak, we would not be fearful, we would not lead in our own ways and our own plans, but we would be open to how you would guide us. Father, that you care for this world, and so we pray for this world, that there would be change, there would be hope, there would be love. You would be known as the God of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace. All the things Jonah feared. He feared those things for another people. He loved them for himself, but feared them for another people. And Father, I pray that you would change us, that we would be able to break from that, that we would pray that over everyone. That as we go out to the, to the ends of the earth, making disciples, teaching them about you, it would be this God of grace, mercy, and love. One that has purpose and intention for us. Then we ask for this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So as you go this week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. May he protect and provide for you and your family. May he strengthen you to do the good works he has prepared for you. May you know his love for you and presence of his Holy Spirit.
May you connect to him, to others, and to our world for his kingdom and his glory. Amen. We love you. We miss you. Stay connected. Reach out because you're not alone. Have a great week.